Despite a public health care budget of 60 billion rand, the Gauteng health system is in critical condition. Reports of scandals with money meant to treat the poorest of the poor has become almost normal. A week ago, we read about doctors again having to buy food from their own pockets for patients at Chris Hani Baraguanath, the same hospital where 900 babies died from avoidable incidents between 2020 and 2022. Add to this the life is a demeni tragedy that cost the lives of 144 patients with mental health issues, the massive fraud with personal protective equipment during the COVID pandemic, the crisis at the Rahima Musa Hospital and corruption of at least 1 billion rand at Tembisa Hospital that led to the assassination of Babita Diokaran. And then ask yourself, how can this situation go unchallenged? And what does it predict for the proposed NHI system? I'm Ilse Salzwedel for Alta and my guest for this episode of Alta Insights is Professor Alex van Jefferies, Chair of Social Security at Wits University. Alex, good morning and thank you so much for your time. Good morning. Please tell us exactly what you do at Wits because you work with a lot of social security issues. Yeah, so my background is as an economist, but I have a chair in Social Security Systems Administration and Management Studies, and that encompasses comprehensive social security, so social security systems outside the health system, but I also deal specifically with uh, health, the health system. And in all of those areas, I cover areas of economics, financing, uh, policy, management, as well as governance frameworks and governance systems. You are then the perfect person for uh, today's chat because I would like us to talk a bit about what is wrong with the Gauteng uh, public health system. And as we can see from press reports, the News 24 expose on the Tembisa Hospital corruption is but one of the things, and I spoke to Jeff Wicks about that, but I would like you to weigh in on what I see is a public health crisis in Gauteng. And also linking to that, the Gauteng Social Development Department came under severe fire for allocating lots of money to substance abuse, the treatment of substance abuse, while cutting funds apparently from welfare organizations working with the elderly and with children. So from where I'm standing, and you are welcome to correct me if I'm wrong, it doesn't look like the sick, the poor, the elderly and children in need seems to be a high priority for the Gauteng provincial uh, decision makers. Am I wrong? Uh, I don't think you are wrong. I think there's a severe problem with uh, governance within the uh, Gauteng government as a whole, and it, it translates into what happens within the health department as well as social development. I think the governance uh, it really deals with accountability at the end of the day to the served community, to the people of Gauteng. And it appears as though the interests of intermediaries within the system are given much more priority than the actual population that needs to be served. And that's what we see with uh, corruption um, in the cases of Bita Diokaran and Tembisa Hospital. That's just an example of where it has been uh, made very, very clear what's going on. But what we have is a, an across-the-board failure of performance of public hospitals and healthcare services from the perspective of government, while 
patients are uh, essentially needing those services more and demand is growing because the population is increasing in Gauteng. But the uh, theft of funds and the poor management, administration and facilities maintenance of all of these services uh, suggests that uh, with the money being stolen and no accountability for it suggests that basically the surf population is of little interest to government and that's a real problem. In the case of the NPOs there where the funds were cut, what really concerns me is when a drastic policy like this is introduced without an actual policy evaluation, without a document, it just comes out of nowhere and it looks like a big switch of funds um, it, to some sort of mysterious priority that is unclear, I would really query it because you've got to be extraordinarily, you've got to be extremely careful when you shift funds from one vulnerable priority to somebody else. And pulling the carpet out of the feet of vulnerable people is unacceptable in South Africa today. It's totally unacceptable. But I don't see any policy document. I don't see any policy appraisal. I don't see any financial approach that has been identified. It just appears to be a sweeping move without any real substantive policy consideration. And, and usually when that happens, as it happened with Life SED Many, is that it's got some problematic motive behind it. And so unfortunately, there's such a breakdown of trust with the Gauteng government at this point in time, that we can't really be certain of the uh, public interest motivations of this government anymore. When I did my research for our chat, I came across very, very shocking things. I also happened to see that Life Esedemeni was one of the prime examples of what went wrong in the Gauteng health system, but it didn't stop there. Um, there was a public protector's report after visiting basically all the public hospitals in Gauteng in 2020, some serious recommendations were made there. We've seen what Babita Diokaran uh, exposed in, in relation to the Tembisa Hospital, but as Jeff Wicks told us, what she exposed there is probably applying to at least five other hospitals in Gauteng as well. There was the Rahima Musa Mother and Child Hospital debacle last year where they found that the CEO was at work for only 182 days out of one year. Patients were sleeping on floors, giving birth on floors. There was no blood services, 24-hour blood services available. Lots and lots and lots of allegations. Easily fixable things as well. For instance, they didn't have any water for a long time. Then Gift of the Givers stepped in and they um, sponsored some boreholes and the water problem was to a large extent fixed. But it just seems the list of problems are going on and on despite two reports by the uh, health ombudsman, one report by the public protector, lots of outcries in the media. Um, and nothing happens. Why do you think is that? So let's, let's just use the example of Abita Diokaran. When you see the case where a person has been assassinated in supply chain management, let's assume that if you were dealing with a, um, a properly governed government, everybody would have snapped into action immediately, investigated everything she was investigating, got to the root of it, got to the people who would potentially be the assassins, the, the kingpins, not just the people who pulled the trigger. And you would do it immediately, not wait 18 months before you start beginning to pretend to act. So when you see that failure to act, in the case of Babita Diokaran, 
the forensic investigation she recommended was not implemented. Instead, a rather superficial sample-based forensic investigation was introduced. Nothing was made public about that investigation, and the findings, to the extent that they affected Tembisa Hospital, were referred back to the CEO of that hospital, who Babita Diokaran and the nature of the procurement indicated he would be the culprit. You know, he's the one approving those particular transactions that were irregular. And now he's expected to uh, supposedly uh, investigate it. Yeah, so it says, you know, here are the problems uh, that we found at your hospital. Now, all of that suggests that the accountability structures are being manipulated. In other words, a veneer of accountability is being generated. And you can only do that if the uh, accountability structure all the way to the top, and I mean right to the premier, is defective. Because you don't shut down all of that machinery at the lowest level of the system. You're shutting it down at the highest levels of the system. So the fact that belatedly the system starts to act when News24 starts to put out information is itself an indication of the quality of the governance system in place. In the case of Rahima Musa, again, you ask the question, how long does it take before the province reacts against a defective CEO who does nothing? And when Tim DeMeyer, one of the pediatricians within the hospital, finally gets after attempting to report internally, consistently, gets and gets nowhere, reports publicly on what's going on. And now the hospital takes a disciplinary action against him, and the province does nothing. The province supports the hospital taking disciplinary action against him. It's only because members of the health fraternity gathered around to protect him, the mayor, that he was protected at the end of the day. But the threats were real to his livelihood. And that has a chilling effect on whether or not people are going to report those things in the future. But from a governance perspective, it tells you that there is no accountability for doing bad things in the system. But there is an accountability system for doing good things. If you do good things, you're suspended, penalized, murdered. And this is a real problem. This is what our governance system is showing within the Gauteng government at the moment. And when you see a governance framework reinforcing negative behavior of that kind, it shows that nobody's concerned about the general public or the public value that is meant to be generated. What is uh, the priority is basically protecting people who are either picking up large salaries for doing nothing or who are stealing from the state. Via tenders. By tenders into Alia, yeah. In my research, I also came across the fact that in 12 years, we had nine different MECs for health and 10 CEOs for Gauteng Health. And that is something that both you and Jack Blue mentioned. So there's definitely a problem with governance, also because often people are sitting in acting positions for a long time. But then at least three of those health department heads were implicated in corruption and wasteful expenditures. Still nothing happened. So I'm asking, where's national government in all of this? Or can they just allow provincial government to get away with this for 12 years? So there's sort of two issues there. One is the high turnover of people in senior leadership positions has a a disrupting effect on the sort of coherent strategies that are implemented at the provincial level. So if you had to look at provinces like the Western Cape, the leadership turnover is very low. So there's a lot of institutional memory at the top 
and really high quality people are at the top. You know, you don't want to remove the people who have a long understanding of your system. They've got very deep institutional knowledge and they can be hands-on practical and they know the nuances of how to improve the system. But if you're changing the heads of department every 12 months to 18 months, and you're changing the MECs, then you've got a real problem. And those HODs tend to change with the MECs, which is a further problem, which means that those HODs are political appointments. They're there to do the bidding of the political party, not to act in the interests of the administration and, and the community at large. So this is where there is a real problem with the nature of the system that evolves and the accountability. Such people at the top are not accountable properly because they're accountable upward into political structures, not downward to the, to the people. Uh, and then the lack of continuity and professionalism is affected by who gets in because they're not selected because they're the best of the best of the best. They're selected because they're there to do the bidding. One gets the idea that this is not by accident, that this happens on purpose. Am I correct? Yes, I mean, it's, it's a consequence of a, of a feature of how our public sector is allowed to be governed. And that is a real problem where political appointments are made into administrations. And that allows for the strategic capture of these organizations. It's actually very easy to establish networks of extraction if you're able to effectively employ people in the strategic positions who then manipulate the design and the employment of people at lower levels of the system. So you can capture supply chains, you can capture CEO positions of hospitals and supply chains in those hospitals, the heads of finance. So everybody that's relevant to the procurement process can largely be captured. And once you've got that, I mean, you're on every side of that contract and uh, it doesn't matter what rules you establish, you can bypass all of them. That's part of the problem that we have. And you ask the question, why does National do nothing? Well, what we've seen with Digital Fibes is national is part of the problem. Political appointments, people who issue corrupt and irregular tenders, the disciplinary processes, which are, to say a slight slap on the hands is all that you get when you're an accounting officer and you're found guilty of manipulating a tender and somebody says that's not enough for dismissal, you've got a real problem on your hands. And we had a Minister of Health behind the digital vibes issue who then goes on to challenge to become president of the country that's the national department of health so i'm not sure that we get correctives from a national government that's behaving like the provincial government but i also wanted to know if we discuss zweli mkize's role um you've referred to him now with relation to digital vibes but then we also need to go to the proposed NHI. Wasn't he involved right from the start in proposing a national health initiative, something we are really in need of? We need a health system that looks after the most vulnerable and the poorest of the poor. But if we look at what's happening in Gauteng, if we look at digital vibes, if we look at the common denominators, what's your take on that? Well, yeah, I think the, the key political actors have been uh, promoting the NHI from a, for a very long period of time. And it's important to note that the national health insurance proposal is fundamentally a purchasing system. In other words, it's a procurement system, but a massive one. It's one that would purchase both the public and the private systems. That's its intention. It's an unrealistic objective. But that's its purpose is to create this very, very large procurer at a centralized level in which 
all the key appointments are again made by the Minister of Health. And so we've seen the actors who've behaved badly in the past proposing a model, the kind of model which they're easily able to exploit. So this is very problematic. In my view, the NHI proposals have been perverted from the start by the opportunities raised by this procurement model. It is not the right health system designed for South Africa. At no time has any one of the actors and various ministers and policymakers in this process ever challenged the notion of ministerial appointments into the administration, because it's the one thing that if they changed, you could actually say we're having a legitimate discussion about the establishment of a, a social protection institution. But that's the one thing they're not going to change, ministerial control over structures of procurement. And this and unfortunately suggests that that's probably driving the agenda. And what we're seeing in, in systems design, like Eskom, for instance, is that when you create centralized structures of purchasing, which Eskom was, I mean, it's, it, it sets up its own systems, it buys them, and it prohibits any competition with itself. That's essentially exactly what the NHI proposal is. It doesn't work very well as a model in general, and particularly when governance and accountability is weak, it crumbles and collapses. So um, it's a, always a very precarious and brittle model, even when it's well managed. But it's, it's one that fails catastrophically when you have institutional and industrial level corruption as we have in South Africa. So we need a discussion on deepening and strengthening our universal coverage model in South Africa. The NHI proposal, I'm afraid, at a practical level is dead in the water. It's never going to happen. But the mere fact that somebody was prepared to propose it in that form and with that approach speaks volumes for understanding that South African government and state has been seen as a giant piggy bank instead of something that should be delivering public services to people in South Africa. Uh, we need a discussion on real public services in South Africa, real interventions that deliver real outcomes and output for people, not just. We read a lot about what's happening in state hospitals. We all know people who goes to state hospitals and they come back with horror stories. But you are working at VITS and I suppose you hear even more awful stories. What are some of the biggest problems in the Gauteng health system, um, for instance, that you are aware of? Well, I think that what we've seen in Rahima Musa uh, as an explicit report is general. It's not uh, a specific variation on its own. It's it's not a, a an isolated um, example. So this that is, is what's happening. That's what's happening in basically every state hospital. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And so I'll give you one of the areas. So when we look at facilities maintenance, that is often delivered by the Department of Infrastructural Development. So we see the fire at Charlotte. And in that hospital, they've taken ages to repair, to rebuild the hospital and address that damage. And the province itself and the hospital have been incapable of actually responding timelessly, such that it had to be taken out of the hands of the province and given to the development bank to drive, supposedly. Now, um, what that's indicating is that there is a is that the money that is being allocated for infrastructure and maintenance for the health system doesn't hit the ground, and that's why lifts don't work, why the roofs aren't repaired, why the ceilings aren't repaired, while uh, all the buildings are in a state of disrepair, and that will also translate into equipment purchases um, such as the ones that were noted in Rahima Musa, because the money might be allocated, but it doesn't go there. A lot of the money just seems to dissipate into thin air 
And that's a problem because it suggests that a lot of the money is being stolen rather than actually being used on the services. So, the, so we're not necessarily looking at a situation where there are insufficient resources and they are constrained, but the, the resources that are there are being dissipated to the extent that it is damaging maintenance of facilities and equipment. And that's quite a sign from the fact that uh, there is a problem within which how staff themselves are properly managed with extensive moonlighting of both clinical and nursing staff that mean that what we're paying for in terms of salaries and wages also doesn't hit the ground. The staff aren't there. And that is a problem too. And it suggests that there is nobody managing staff properly in our public health sector platform. So what that translates into is what we see in Rahima Musa, what we see around the system more generally. So when you say moonlighting, just for those who may not understand what's happening, that is when people that are supposed to be on duty in a state hospital is actually moonlighting at private hospitals um, via agencies. Am I correct? Yes, yeah, so that would be nursing nursing via agencies and doctors are moonlighting with their own practices in the private sector. Sure, very shocking. So, And another thing that I've noticed um, just in the last few months, private help doesn't seem to be accepted with grace. I'm thinking of Dr. Carol Ann Ben, who resigned from the Ellen Joseph um, Hospital, where she's worked for years, sharing her expertise in breast cancer and breast cancer surgery. She's done a lot of work on her own. She's pulled in people who can sponsor certain things to also help breast cancer patients uh, who are reliant on state hospitals not providing the services, but she was basically also pushed out at Helen Joseph. So is there that problem as well, that even people coming in with good intentions are not welcome? Well, this is, I mean, both at a personal level and institutionally, you hear this a lot, that people who do want to work, they're in the private sector running their own practices potentially, but they want to donate their time in some cases. So you can also work on a, sort of a paid basis as well in various ways. And that's a very good way of making sure that even if somebody's not full-time on the staff establishment, that you can draw capability, capacity in. This is different from paying somebody a full-time salary and they're disappearing off to make money somewhere. This is now coming in the opposite direction where people who are coming in because they want to help and they're treated badly. I mean, I've got personal instances where people are treated atrociously at, uh, at various facilities and it appears that there isn't really an understanding of the value that people can provide. But to draw on private sector people and other people effectively does require a very capable hospital as well. Good management, understanding what's going on, looking at approaches that can build these in on a long-term basis. It does appear even that a lot of this is ad hoc and uh, subject to individual discretionary decision-making without consideration of wider strategies for a public hospital. And so you have these very bizarre, explicable incidents. So I think that there are so many opportunities that are being lost because of bad accountability, bad management, and an absence of, of good governance. This seems to have been an ongoing problem for at least 10 years. I also found an article by Emeritus Professor Yusuf Veriava. Am I pronouncing it correctly? But he was with the Raima yes. Musa Hospital for years. He started his career there over 50 years ago. And he was an advisor to the president and all kinds of high positions in the state health um, departments. 
He actually was part of an um, initiative to take Dr. Aron Motswaledi to court over interventions at state hospitals that just wasn't happening. Motswaledi was then the Minister for Health in 2013. He then suggested, let's leave the court case, let's chat, let's find a solution. And Dr. Veravia says, Professor Veravia says, it actually led nowhere. There were talks, there were some in- interventions at university hospitals, but the rest of public hospitals are still in dire straits. And even a presidential pact regarding health that was signed in 2019 apparently went nowhere. So what can we do to fix this? Because it seems that the political will isn't there to really give public health all over the country, not only in Gauteng, the attention it deserves. Yeah, so there's a complete absence of political will to deal with the prerequisites for developing capable systems, because what it will do is it will, if you were investing properly, you'd be investing in systems, not individuals and ad hoc interventions that all dissipate. You have to invest in systems. And what that means is you've got to have good quality people at the top in decision-making positions, not political appointments. And you have to have proper systems of governance and accountability. And what that means is when you find that people are behaving badly, you're move them and when people are behaving well you reward them now the way in which you structure your system has to be able to achieve that effect but you realize what would happen if you did that a lot of political appointments would have to be kicked out of the system lots of friends of the minister would have to be kicked out lots of people uh, who drive the party political processes would no longer be in positions of leadership and would no longer be drawing resources from the state. And this is the reason why there's absolutely no political will to do anything, because, you know, the turkey is not going to vote for Christmas. And this, unfortunately, is the problem. And this is why you can go and have as many discussions as you like with the Minister of Health, but they actually are appear powerless to do anything. Not that they don't have power. It's powerless because they would be going against their own. Yeah, and they are blocked by other people with even more power than what they have. Yeah, so it it goes against the dynamic uh, of how you get into a leadership position. You know, you're in that leadership position for patronage, to deliver patronage, not to deliver services. And the moment you want a proper emphasis on delivery of services, your role in delivering patronage gets you kicked out. And this is why a lot of the people who are very, you know, uh, socially conscious who initially went into government post-94, they're the ones leading the charge, saying there's a very, very deep problem here because they get pushed out because they were interested in services. These guys are interested in patronage. And, and money. No, and no political will. Well, patronage goes with money. It's yes, yeah. using state resources to feather the nests of everybody else. And if you're, you only get to be in a leadership position if you're prepared to do that and willing to turn a blind eye to others doing it. And so the kind of fundamental restructurings we, we require to eliminate systems of patronage is where we need to go. But don't expect the turkeys to vote for Christmas. They're not going to. There's no political will to address the fundamental causes of failure in the public health system in South Africa. The Western Cape does perform very differently because it doesn't follow the patronage model. And that's a very scary thing for government to have to look at and for the um, uh, sort of political competition. The Western Cape has actually invested in capability and it delivered. That's the kind of model you'd have to go for, but we're not seeing it everywhere else in South Africa. Unfortunately, part of it is because it's a discretion 
as to how you do it. Where And we probably need going forward in South Africa, potentially after the elections next year, is to look at the systems that remove the possibility, the, the discretion to have a system of patronage. Because there's a risk that in the Western Cape, it could go that way as well, down the line with long periods of incumbency. So you want to have a government in which patronage is not an option. Sure. You are not giving me a lot of hope <laughs> after this conversation, but what you're also saying is that we should start thinking about who we put in power. Absolutely. And by the way, there is an, a really a critical need in South Africa today to not look with rose-tinted glasses at what's going on. One has to confront this head on. Otherwise, we will be overtaken by it. We have to confront it. We have to confront it now. We have to change the governance of South Africa. We have to change the governance of our provincial systems and our healthcare system. And what that means is the governance framework that roots out patronage and reinforces um, the incentives to deliver to the public. That has to be our approach going forward. And we must stop falling for people who provide fake delivery and the appearance of governance rather than the substance of it. Very powerful words from Professor Alex van den Jeffer from WITS. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for a straight talk on what we need to do in South Africa and especially in the health system to fix things and to make a better South Africa for all. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and subscribe to our channel to stay updated. If you appreciate Alta's efforts, visit alta.co.za to donate.